And welcome to another episode of the Colloquial Koi Podcast. I am your host, Nathan Koi. Today is December 10th, 2019. I'm currently traveling north of my primary residence. And the outside temperature indicates 29 degrees. Traffic is a non-issue this morning, which makes it a great drive for me. So, today's topic, I have a couple things that I wanted to talk about. Um, And again, I have no idea where I'm going with this. Um, just as a reference point, I've gone through and scripted um, episodes on what exactly I will talk about. Uh, I can do that. does not mean that it is, it just feels rigid. So this is just a free flow conversation as if I'm having dialogue with you. Uh, eventually, I would like to get to a point where... I use this app to engage in dialogue with other people and just hear their stories. So ultimately, that's what this is about, just having conversation. A year ago today, December 10th, 2018, at about 8.30 p.m., my wife and I, my mother-in-law, my mother and father, and about... I don't know, two dozen other people from Delaware County Vineyard Church uh, landed down in Ohio from a two-week trip of Israel and the Holy Land and all that stuff. So, one, I can't believe that's already been a year. Uh, I have some pictures of that trip One of my two youngest children picked us up at the airport. Um, They made some funny signs. Um, But we were dead tired. It was 8.30 by the time we got to Columbus. um, I am a germaphobe. And this will tell you how tired I was. By the time we landed in Chicago coming from Germany, I slept on the floor at O'Hare Airport. (laughs) I was exhausted. Um, Then one of the most interesting things happened then, too, is, you know, you sit around and you kind of observe a room and get an idea. Well, we were all tired, but then waiting at the airport in Chicago to board Columbus flight, and maybe even when we were in Germany, I started to pick up that, there's a lot of people hacking and coughing and snotting. And I get in the mindset like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get sick. And you get into the plane and you just want to be home. Um, and then all you hear is the, 
and everybody. So I say that because I laugh at that, but within 24 hours of landing, I was miserable, head cold, sinus, all this nasty stuff. What a way to end a trip, right? But I guess to be expected. So a couple things from that trip um, that still stand out in my mind um, 12 months later outside of the flying. Um, we saw many sites. I mean, just unbelievable, picturesque, um, walking in a place with structures and buildings that predate America. And I say that because we, we are such a young nation um, age-wise, we are still in our infancy compared to some of these other lands. And just to see buildings and structures and landmarks that have literally been around since the time that Jesus physically walked those areas. So, uh, right off the bat, one that struck me um, right between the eyes, I guess, is when we went to the steps of the temple um, and towards one of the steps there's a gate that's been sealed off not the golden gate but but another gate that our tour guide had said you know that structure there that's one of the oldest gates into the city uh, into the temple area it was one that people would have walked through um, coming for the Passover and things like that <clears throat> And the teaching step, so Jesus was there one day teaching, and then the Pharisees are gathering around, and you know, the Pharisees are the quasi-political, governmental, religious overseers, authorities, etc. And I can't remember the exact part in Scripture, um, but he's on those steps, and when he turns to talk to the Pharisees, he says, you're just like those whitewashed tombs. You know, you look clean on the outside, but in the inside you're dead. And to stand there on those steps, to think about that, to read that, then look up towards the Mount of Olives and see all the tombs, um, that was pretty surreal. That, uh, again, is an interesting practice and something that... Um, well, we don't necessarily do here in America, at least not in many places. But, you know, the stone tombs where, where people are put in those stone tombs. And what was interesting when we went to some of those uh, burial sites and graveyards, you know, people wouldn't leave flowers, but if they would visit a loved one, they would leave a rock or a stone on the grave, which was interesting because, you know, in their thought process, that's something that won't wither and fade like a flower. So... Uh, but it's interesting because, you know, even in those tombs, um, eventually over time, it's nearly a complete uh, decomposition of all matter, um, almost near cremation. So um, it's just kind of fascinating that instead of, you know, digging down into the earth like we do, they put them in sealed vaults above the ground. So. Another site and stop, of course, was the uh, the Wailing Wall, the Great the, the Great Wall. Is that what they call it? Anyhow, the Wailing Wall. Um, you know, so that idea there is, you know, everybody's seen the pictures, but you know, that's the closest to the original temple that um, practicing Jews can get to, and then that's where they go and say their prayers and physically touch the wall and try and connect with the spiritual. That place for me um, was was unique and interesting to see. Uh, I was glad I got to share that with, you know, my wife and my family and my dad and I went up and touched the wall together. It was interesting for me because I think while it might be a spiritual, how do I say this, it might be a spiritual part of the trip it wasn't for me i guess well 
I guess if I did feel something in my spirit, it was it was negative. And and the reason I say that is <clears throat> I don't mean this to be crass or anything else, but the desperation that people have putting their faith in the structures to connect them with the creator of the universe seems like a stretch to me. I know it's important to them, it's their heritage, but just the, the prayers and the religious nature of people hanging out there and doing their stuff, it was cool to see, you know, as a spectator, but to choose that pathway for me, it would be very difficult because then there's also the racial racial um, divide or religious divide because, you know, that's the only part that the Jews are allowed to get close to the actual Dome of the Rock or the, you know, the actual Temple Foundation, which was pretty impressive to see some of those blocks, how ingenious it, these people were to put some of these huge rocks into place without modern day equipment is amazing but the conflict with my spirit was you had one group you know doing their thing and then another group that has control of the dome of the rock so the idea in the building of the dome of the rock that is muslim controlled that's one of the five or seven holy sites of the Muslim religion, and they guard that and protect that baby like you wouldn't believe. Now, uh, part of the the worship center up there, uh, it's understood that where the temple was built um, was on the ground when Abraham was going to sacrifice his son Isaac, but. God spared Isaac by providing a lamb. The lamb was killed in the boy's place. And it is a story that um, starts this redeeming process of faithfulness and God's people. So it was a Jewish holy site. You know, King David built the first temple. Uh, it's been exchanged or it's been torn down and uh, another one was built um, but currently it's under control of, of the Muslims so you have this dichotomy of it's almost like the two different groups are trying to pray louder to God um, you know so when it's time to pray at the Dome of the Rock or Islam prayers you know, it comes on a speaker and, you know, it's time to pray. Uh, there's also some Jewish practices that do that, I guess, a little bit too. But Anyhow, that was impressive uh, just to see. It was more or less a spiritual conflict in me because I, I didn't feel like, Uh, while it's an important part of the story, I don't feel like, ah, you know, this is, this is it. Because if you believe what the Bible says, there's more to the story than just temple walls and buildings and structures. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, something else that was also interesting is that, you know, construction practices here in the U.S., if we decide that we are going to rebuild something, we literally will tear it down to dirt um, and start all over and haul out all the pieces. That does not seem to be the case over there, you know, because it's a land of at least that part in the old city in Jerusalem. There seems to be, well, everything's built on stone, so to completely remove a structure, they don't do that. That's why you can see the foundations and the walls and some of the tunnels and some of the stuff from the original um, temple is because it was one well constructed and two they're not going to spend too much effort going clear down to remove some of those huge cornerstones or blocks so at least from that perspective at least as it relates to prophecy and things like that where they talk about 
you know, the building of the third temple, and, you know, really who's going to do it is the Jews and some Muslims. You know, how is this going to work out? And so in my mind, I'm like, man, they're going to have to completely obliterate and start all over. I don't really think that's the case. I think they could begin building upon some of these other structures, but I think first they have to get along uh, to get to that point. So I'll leave it at that. Another site that was incredibly amazing was uh, in Getty. Um, so this would have been, I guess, north. Well, we went to the Dead Sea. That was cool to see. Um, there was also talks while we were there about how the Dead Sea is showing signs of life. I think years and years of salty water, it's developing these pockets of groundwater. The ground's collapsing and releasing freshwater sources into the Dead Sea, which is very interesting, which relates to some scriptures and prophecy, but you can see where all that, basically that bad land area around the Dead Sea is so unsafe because of the sinkholes. They're going to have some issues with that, I think, at least with some of the roads that go in and out of there as it continues to, continues to kind of die off. But that was interesting to kind of be in that water, um, watching people have fun in the salt water. Um, but in Getty, was, um, of course, it's a national park now, but it's basically in the Dead Sea area where there's not a whole lot of vegetation. You would see some of the, the farms along the way, um, you know, like date farms. But this site historically is where David went to hide in the mountain when uh, Saul was after him. If I'm remembering correctly, um, you know, a series of caves. And you get up on top of this um, area, some of the lush vegetation and some of the fresh water flowing up there. Uh, that was pretty amazing. I've got some pictures of that, some of the views there. You could almost just set up camp and just live there. Just really quite the the area, um, see for miles and miles, and just the idea of being surrounded by some vegetation and some fresh flowing water in a place where it's mostly desolate is really kind of rewarding too. And it was a neat little hike um, going up. There were more hiking trails we could have gone on, but that was pretty cool getting up there, some great pictures. That one is in my brain pretty hard. Um, the Sea of Galilee that was pretty intense while you know here in the Great Lake regions uh, we are blessed with abundance of surface water, fresh water so to call it a sea um, it would be more like one of our Great Lakes even smaller um, beautiful it was really Impressive. So we took a boat ride from, I believe, Tiberius up to, I can't remember. Anyhow, rode on the water. Um, that one was intense for me because, you know, you sit at the front of the ship and just kind of look out and do the whole, uh, you know, Titanic thing, you know, I'm flying. And um, mind you, they don't have like some of the safety stuff that we have here in the U.S. Like, I was shocked that they let us ride a boat without one. Here's the life preservers, and if in the case of emergency you need to do da 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 da, you know, there was none of that, which I thought was interesting. Uh, also telling, but um, just to sit there and say some of the rock formations, the natural features, the general viewpoint of any point of that lake minus modern architecture and building would have been some of the same sites that the disciples would have seen uh, that Jesus would have seen so then I, I immediately went back to a song 
from my youth, Audio Adrenaline had a song, uh, Walk on Water. And so it was a song to the story when, you know, Jesus is out on the water. Peter, you know, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And he tells him to walk out on the water. You know, so for a little bit, Peter was walking on the water until he lost sight of Jesus and started to sink. And so part of me, I, you know, was having a moment like, which direction was Peter looking when he was sinking? You know, as he was falling into the water, you know, for a little bit defying all earth and nature, physics, rules, and the Son of God is sustaining him. You know, what did he see? I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, anything around water. We went to Capernaum. Um, amazing sights over there, at least from the water business relations. You get to see the aqueducts and things like that. Um, what else stood out? Well, at least that's what's coming off the top of my head right now. But um, just an amazing opportunity. Um, oh, going into the old city, there was a day where we could go shopping into the old city, um, which was fine, but I did not like that. I don't. I don't know what my deal was with that. It almost felt like, and maybe that's what it was. It felt like it was carnival-esque, um, you know, people trying to sell their goods. You know, you ever gone to a fair? Hey, step right up. That's what it felt like, which I know it's their form of business there. Um, but, you know, you could tell that they were catering to the American tourists, you know. Even that time last year, there was one vendor that was selling Cleveland Brown shirts, you know. Um, but that, that was not as fun as maybe others would think. Um, it was just very intense. And then me as a, I don't know, maybe, maybe I don't trust people enough. I always felt like I'm on my guard and I'm trying to keep an eye on my people and, you know, pickpockets and all that stuff. I just, I know it's a thing, but I don't know. It was okay, I guess. It was a wonderful trip. Overall, it was great. It just still can't believe a year later. Um, been a year. Um, so, shortly after we got back from our trip, so my wife and I went, my wife's mother, my mother and father went, which, you know, got to spend time with people closest to me. Um, my dad started to have some symptoms, uh, that he needed to get checked out. Uh, long of the short, uh, he ended up with a form of lymphoma cancer, um, that he then started treatment, uh, I can't remember what month it was. Maybe sometime around March or April. Anyhow, so that was kind of intense. So, you know, at the same time, I had changed jobs, went on this epic trip, nestling into a job that I had some questions on um, as far as my clarity went, you know, when I made the decision. And then, so this job is in the area where my, my folks live. My grandparents live in that area. Um, so I was thankful for that job opportunity because I was able to check in on my folks more and see how things were going with them. So long of the short, uh, my dad completed all his treatments, I want to say, in September or October. And he'll get some immunotherapy, but uh, seems like the corner has been turned, at least in that category, which is great. Um, I have a grandfather that was diagnosed with a form of cancer. Um, so, at least from that standpoint, it's been an intense year. Job change uh, in the past year. Um, we've gone from having one child in college to two. Uh, so, the family dynamic was shifting. 
Um, now we got one teenager in the house most of the time, and she's spoiled rotten. Uh, in the midst of all this, um, this concept of change, and I and I don't, I'm not sure where it all started, but with the idea of kind of stepping out, I think if I take a step back, taking this job was um, a step in faith, um, not really knowing where it may end, but did it so. I've seen some fruits of that. I've seen maybe why I was directed to this place and hope for better things to come. We also, in August, well, it started earlier in the summer about putting our house on the market. We listed our house in August. We were in contract shortly and moved out in October. So we sold our house um, with the idea to, well, one, the market was good. Um, we made a nice, uh, had a nice return on investment, as they say, to shed some debt, to kind of clear the table for the next adventure. Um, so if we buy another house, kind of planning the way for that. So long of the short, we are renting a small little ranch that suffice as well until we figure out the next step. So this year has been a year of change. It has been a year of growth. For me personally, I spend a great deal of time reflecting on sometimes wrongly coulda, woulda, shoulda, like why didn't I do X, Y, Z, or what if this happened? And this process that I've gone through this year um, has allowed a different perspective on growth and what it means to grow. And by that I say this is the first time in my life while, while I've made decisions, um, I feel like I'm not actively controlling the narrative for the dialogue. If that makes sense. So I am very good at um, kind of reframing ideas and trying to take situations and flip them in a way that either would make me look really, really smart or really, really whatever. think several years ago had I made some of these decisions I would have spent more time trying to defend what I've done and defend the image instead of just like sitting in it it has been one of you no know, maybe sounds contradictory or well I I feel like I've kind of given up some of the control that I've wanted to have. You know, it's always been about living where I want to live, work where I want to work, do what I want to do. And historically, if one would look at my employment record, I tend to have a mind process, thought process of if I can't will a certain organization to do things my way or the way I want, regardless if it's good or bad. See, this is where the poser, years ago where the poser would want to do it his way so he could show everybody how wonderful he is. If I couldn't get him to form and manipulate to what I wanted, I would leave. Um, so that's what I would do. I would always tell people I'm a mercenary and go to the highest bidder. And I did do that, but I also went place to place to try and kind of secure an identity that I was after is the miracle worker fixer that would show up and make everything wonderful. 
so the place that I'm at now, it is uh, historically been very well run. It has its hiccups. It has its ups and downs. It has its unique players. Um, but quickly, uh, I knew I was out of place based on my past leanings of programs and initiatives. So when I say several months into the job, I felt like I was lost or uh, questioned my decision. It's because I could use my same, for lack of a better word, tactics to try and create success and control a success narrative and dialogue. Um, so I say that in contrast with the idea that I have learned this year to kind of just ride the wave, to roll with it, and, and not find ways to create a name for me, but to find ways that I can lift other people up around me. For too long, career-wise, I know I'm shifting gears, but career-wise, it was always about what can I do to build a name, build a brand, build a brand for myself to be my own advocate, my number one advocate. See, and that's why I would leave places and find another job, because obviously they did not recognize the skill and talent that they have, tongue-in-cheek. Um, so that's a very comfortable place for me. Uh, but to get to a place to where some of the challenges were outside of my traditional methods and means uh, quickly became a challenge. From, I guess, a standpoint to try and all tie it in, between my experiences over the past year, between my relationships over the past year, um, it has been a continual, I shared with some other folks, it feels like this whole year has been a shedding of my skin, you know, like a snake, like this growth process. In order to grow, something has to die. I ran across the scripture. I can't remember who it was, if it was Titus or Timothy or even Paul. I can't remember. All right, anyhow. Long of the short was, you know, hey, if we are, in order for something to grow, it must first die. And, and so that hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, so I think about corn or any fruit or vegetable that may give seed. In order for an apple to give birth to new growth, a seed, the apple first has to die. The apple first must totally decay. And the seed, everything around the apple, the seed, the very essence of life that is bound inside the shell, it all has to rot away, and that seed falls into the earth. So complete death, complete decay must happen before growth. And so I've always had the idea that, you know, we're on this journey of we're uh, planting and harvesting, um, just in life in general, even if you take the evangelical spin of, you know, well, evangelism and things like that. Sometimes it begins with our own growth process and how do we intend to grow if we have not killed off our past and the things of old? Just kind of let that garbage fall to the side. So for me, I feel like I have to look back and kind of figure out, you know, where am I going? What am I doing? And one of those scenarios are this year has been for me, whether I'm that apple, I'm shedding that old skin, I'm shedding that and kind of letting go. Where historically, I would have done everything to keep up appearance, you know, put a fresh coat of paint on things, put some cologne on so it doesn't smell like death, and make it like I've got it all together, but meanwhile, I'm dying inside. So I've kind of embraced that idea that the shedding of this me 
this identity is my own advocacy. This is my own pathway. Um, so I feel like God has been helping me shed that. Um, there have been some some hard times this year. I'm not going to say that any of it's been easy. It's all been relatively difficult when you really sit in it. Um, so another highlight of, of my year was getting connected with uh, a men's group kind of by accident but through through some relationships with my wife we went through uh, John Eldridge the Wild at Heart book and did a study with a group of eight men we met every Monday night then the class completion culminated to a weekend retreat in Hocking Hills area. Um, so I read that book over 10 years ago. Obviously, it didn't sink in then, especially as it related to the poser. Read it this year and it kind of awakened me, opened my eyes. I, I took it serious. I took the time to fellowship and pray with other people seriously. Uh, made some contacts. One of the things that I've done for over the years is build relationships outside of my work and family circles. I think it's because of past hurt and all that other garbage. Sometimes the BS gets to be too much, but really felt like I've met some individuals that are authentic and um, whether in my local group or the, the whole group that was in Hocking Hills, um, quickly realized that we are we are all the same. And I guess we've known this, but we shove it down and avoid it. God forbid, you know, us males show any emotion or even doubt or weakness. Um, a lot of us are in this boat together trying to navigate this life and you know balance out head and heart issues and spiritual issues so that has been a highlight for me getting to know those folks and kind of walking through that and then kind of spin off I'm participating in another group um, to see if we could take it to the next level I guess and by that, I think it's, you know, what is our mission? How can we help other people? And that's something that maybe I struggle with is that servant's part at times. But one of the things from the entire study that, that really, again, another thing that has made me reflect this year is the concept of the book and concept of this world that God created where we live and the author said something about you know we were born into warfare we were born into the beaches of Normandy because it's an all-out assault you know and for many years I kind of kind of shrugged off the idea of you know that sly little devil he just perks up on your shoulder and I don't think that's the case. I think there is an all-out war against people in general, and especially people that are trying to follow the servant heart and servant teachings of Jesus. So I found comfort in that because I know how much of this year has been a struggle, and I also felt that I'm not alone that this idea of warfare that has been pressed upon us um, is nothing new. You know, our first father dealt with it. And this idea of God providing this free will to choose or not choose a pathway to him um, provides this scenario where this world becomes a battlefield. It really does from a spiritual sense that bleeds over into the physical and the mental and um, I guess my eyes were open to that I mean there's some scriptures that point back to that but this is just me 
regurgitating some of my thoughts. So I guess what I'm saying is life is intense. Life is not meant to be easy. If it was easy, I think we're doing something wrong. I'll say that about marriage and relationships. If it's easy, we're not doing it right or we're confused. It takes some of those hard conversations to get us to the point to where we are growing. Uh, and so in order to grow, there comes that depth. we got to let go some of the things. Um, so that's that's kind of my theme going into this next year, continual growth and kind of shedding some of the things that either fuel um, my ego and the poser and trying to be something that I'm not and just really rest in the idea that God has created me in a genuine way to show love and impact the people around me, including my family, including my co-workers, my friends, and all that stuff. Um, so, and I'm trying to work on my ums. I know my silent pause sometimes is um. I'm trying to do the pregnated pause. Which is not celebrated as much as it should be. Let's one convey a message of I am a high level thinker. Just kidding. There is. Okay, so what have I covered? Kind of like a year in review. Uh, hello. There is another topic that I will discuss in one kind of dovetails into this ego and me kind of releasing things. My wife and I received some godly guidance, uh, wise guidance and relationship guidance from some folks that really have a passion for helping people. One of the recommendations that they made was for our relationship to continue to grow and be what it should be is that we need to pray together. This has been a very difficult process for me, historically, uh, uncomfortable, uh, maybe more intimate than I would like to admit. I always found it awkward. I found it imposing. I think it was threatening to the poser. I think it was threatening to this thriving nature in me that wants to repel the goodness of God, I think, if I'm honest. But for the first time, I would say in the fall, maybe, we kind of sat in that. No matter how short it was, no matter how awkward it felt, uh, pray together. And I've seen some benefits in that. I've also been convinced in my lack of prayer that I think ultimately I would tell people I, I pray all the time. Uh, I could pray quite eloquently in front of people in a group. So when somebody would say, have you prayed about it? Oh, yeah, I pray about it in front of everybody. didn't really practice the discipline. Uh, for whatever reason, maybe that awkwardness, that rawness, maybe that was intimidating to me. I have since been trying to journal some of my prayers, uh, writing it down, and kind of walking through some of the steps. Uh, if I don't write it down, it's this mental process of prayers that I go through. And a lot of it first is acknowledging God as the creator and that he's in charge and um, he has made my paths. He will continue to guide my paths. and I have everything I need. Um, then it flips to, I pray that God would use his Holy Spirit to minister to my heart and my mind. Uh, that my focus will be on things of his nature, things of, of this new kingdom and Christ's kingdom instead of my own. And that's the interesting part, because when I step into that, 
I start thinking about other people and who else I could lift up in prayer and even situations that I find myself in. So I say that, that one, there really is truthfully power in prayer. It is the most unique thing. So this kingdom of God, this kingdom that Jesus Christ has come to pave the way and establish for is a unique kingdom because it's not built off of our strength and power as individuals. It's one, our collective strength of a group, but it is also through the power of prayer. Those waves that are this earth, the very creation of God emanates with these, these waves of consciousness and reality that is all born and brought from the Creator. And I, I feel like prayer is grabbing a hold of some of those signal waves and connecting with, with the Creator. And so I, again, kind of sit in that this year and keep rolling with it. So let's put a bow on it. This is long enough. It has been a year of growth. It has been a year of challenge. It has been a year of seeing people's hearts change, not by me, but by the love of Christ. And that's been exciting. I, I hope to continue to see that. No, I will continue to see people change. Um, not because I want them to, or not because they want to, because they are being called out of darkness. And we are in a place and time in this world where hearts are awakening, minds are waking up. And I don't expect everybody to believe the same things that I do. And I would welcome discussion. But if you are thinking, you are winning. And I believe there are people all over this world that are waking up. And if I were to speak quite frankly, it's, it's this humanism that we put all our faith in ourselves that we have all these ideas and plans to make things better. And I think people are waking up and shedding that. I really do. I think there is a renewing coming of what our priorities are. And I'm not saying that prophetically. It may be just me. I don't know. But I'll tell you, as a fellow human being in this year, 2019, I guess I'm kind of tired of doing things the old ways. That there's some predestined path that we all must adhere to, um, and we walk through life without faith. And so I guess maybe that's my message to myself, maybe the message to others, and the message to people that now are a part of my open public diary. So I will close today with this. One, make it a great day. Make it count. And again, I will say, focus on ways that you can relate to others, walk with others, and kind of grow in community with people in general. We can have community, we can have common ground with people that we don't agree on everything with. And I think that's one of the things in our society right now that is most troublesome. Um, I'm not saying, but if I'm a Democrat and you're a Republican, automatically we don't want to talk to each other because we're at odds. And I find that discouraging uh, because it's very much foundational tribalism that we're going to make our own camp and we're going to try and destroy the other camp without having reason and dialogue. Reasoning or dialogue. Uh, so I feel like in this modern communication age and era, tear down those boundaries and walls and just have a conversation with somebody. One of the things this year I sat through a class, um, a building trust class, and Something that the uh, the presenter talked about is we have to quit looking at whether it's work, interpersonal, or personal conversations. We got to quit looking at conversations as a battle or an argument to win. 
we have to look at it as an opportunity to build relationship. And again, that was another thing that hit me like a hammer in the head. Quit trying to win a battle. First of all, what are you trying to win? You know, usually most arguments are on politics and politicians who don't give three craps about us, if we're honest, or sports teams that don't give two craps about us, or retirement funds, I don't know, that don't give two craps about us. We end up arguing over things that really don't matter. But let's find a way to build a relationship with people. And I think we get to that point, that spreads like wildfire. I mean, you, you could love the Pittsburgh Steelers and I can love the Cleveland Browns, but you know one thing that we can enjoy together? Apple pie a la mode. And just have a conversation. See where people are at. We all have struggles. We all come into relationships, family circles, workplace, church, holiday gatherings with family, with baggage. We all show up with our baggage. So my my goal and hope and challenge to myself and others, let's find ways to help people lift off some of this baggage. You know, find ways to do it. Um, anyhow, so that's enough for today. I hope it's a great day for you. Uh, be encouraged. And I will say, spend time in prayer today. If you don't read your Bible or read a Bible, uh, I would recommend an app called He Reads Truth or She Reads Truth that have got some basic plans on there, some free plans, and just read. Uh, I know plenty of people that are readers uh, that they like to read a great deal of books. Why not give that document a try and see if maybe something resonates in your soul? So I thank you. Have a great day. Thinking about tomorrow. Tomorrow is Wednesday. I got a meeting in the morning, so I was thinking about maybe tomorrow might be on some holiday memories. So anyhow, have a great day. Keep it real. Talk to you later. Tranquility base here, the eagle has landed. Tranquility base here, the eagle has landed. Tranquility base here.